open with Acts chapter 2, verse 1, which says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven a sound like the mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house where they were sitting. And divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now there were dwelling in Jerusalem Jews, devout men from every nation under heaven, and at this sound the multitude came together, and they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in his own language. And they were amazed and astonished, saying, Are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear each of us in his own native language? Parthians and Medes and Elamites and residents of Mesopotamia, Judea and Cappadocia, Pontus in Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt and parts of Libya belonging to Cyrene and visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabians. And we hear them telling in all our own tongues the mighty works of God. And all were amazed and perplexed, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others, mocking them, said, they're filled with new wine. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. And I can never read that passage without the comment that it's funny what Peter says afterwards, because he, he responds like, no, we're not drunk. It's only nine o'clock in the morning. <laughs> which seems to suggest that if it were later in the day, that would be a plausible explanation. <laughs> just, I, I just think the Bible has all kinds of humor in it if you just pay attention. So, the Bible in 90 days journey, believe it or not, is already close to an end. And those who have been reading the Bible from the beginning to the end in 90 days should be somewhere around day 80. 80, I'm 83, I think, in 84 or something in my reading. But we started on April 11th with the book of Genesis, chapter 1, verse 1. And now we've come through Pentecost. And we need to pause for a moment and to think about Pentecost because it's an under-celebrated and under-recognized event in the life of the church and in the relationship between God and God's people that is actually one of the most significant events in all of history, in all of the story of God and God's people. This is one of the most profound moments. And so we want to flesh that out a little bit today. One thing that we've got from reading the entire, gotten from reading the entire Bible in 90 days is a greater comprehension of God's purpose and plan and a better overview of the whole situation. And, and it, it'll be impossible for us humans, but somehow we're getting a sense of what it must look like from God's point of view, because we read the entire Bible and we did it in such a way that the things we read a few weeks ago are still fresh in our minds as we read further. So let me just kind of give you a sort of overview, and I know that some of you have not participated in this, and no one's judging you for that, but as you listen today, maybe you'll get a somewhat of a sense of what the others have been picking up in their reading of the Bible. The story starts 
in the beginning when God created everything and it was good. And then something mysterious happened that isn't explained very clearly, but there seems to have been chaos even after God created it good. So something went wrong and the world is formless and void and dark and crazy and, and there's all kinds of stuff going on. And the Lord then comes back to that creation and right in the middle of it creates a sacred space. We call it the Garden of Eden. It's the place where the Lord wanted to make a special sort of cosmic order <clears throat> to reintroduce the heavenlies to the earth. And so in this place, God strode around here and there, walking with them in the cool of the evening, one of my favorite things to say. And in that place, there was order, there was beauty, and God was present, and God created unique people called the Adam, or the people that God created in God's own image. And these people were indwelt with the very heart and mind of God. And it was nothing to them to be present to God and to walk with God. And then something happened that indicates to us that the chaos was just outside the gates of this sacred place <clears throat> because the Nahash, or a, a serpent, came in. And it was Satan. And he came in and he introduced or erected a counterfeit image to the life-giving spirit of God. It's this tree of life that was the representation of God's eternal presence and glory. And then this tree of death that was characterized as a tree of knowledge of good and evil and death. And... Satan creates this counterfeit in this place, which apparently he was able to do. And for this, God, because of this, God said to the people, just leave it alone. Just, just don't go there. It's counterfeit. It's not good. Just leave it be. But this tempter, this tormentor, this liar, this enemy of God, nevertheless, lures them into tasting the fruit of the tree of death. And because of that, they lost something. They lost the, the ability to be tied to God in heart and mind and to be in God's presence. And this lack of that ability and that lack of purity was called sin. And because of that, they were cast outside the sacred space along with everything else that wasn't supposed to be there. And the reason we know that is because God put mighty angels at the gates. And not just to keep the puny little humans out, but to keep anything out that wasn't pure and wasn't meant to be there. And that was the beginning. Then as time passes, God walks with certain people in a different way and continues to try to impart the the vision that God has, the eternal purpose that God has to certain people and their countrymen or their really family is a better way to put it. And so through a series of what we would call patriarchs and church lingo, led the people towards more obedience to God and to submission to God and a 
for, for lack of a better term, a sort of broken version of the relationship that Adam once had with God inside the sacred space. And God, in order to make that more uh, effective, creates a series of rules and, and uh, practices that will enable them to have the best version of a holy and sacred relationship with God that can be attained without having the spirit of God within them in this particular way that Adam had it. And as you know from hearing the messages over the last several weeks and from your reading of the Bible, it didn't go well. The people messed it up regularly. They did not keep the sacred trust that God established with them. And they, as you've heard a lot, particularly failed in keeping the Jubilee Clause of that covenant that God made with them. And that was particularly bad. Eventually, because of the faithfulness of these patriarchs, these, these men and women actually, who were especially faithful, God was able to show them the possibility of what it would be like to be a nation under God. How appropriate today that we talk about that. And for a brief shining moment, they were a great and glorious superpower nation principally governed by God, although executed by very flawed human beings like David, for example. It didn't last, as you know, and eventually the broken covenant came back to haunt them and this glory ended pretty abruptly and they ended up enslaved to a greater nation that was not by accident, Babylon. And in scripture, Babylon is often referred to as a word, used as a word that refers to the rule of Satan. You hear in your reading of scripture about places like Sidon and Tyre. You hear about places like Babylon and they're, they're referred to not so much as the places, but the spirits that govern them. And the spirits are evil that Satan is ruling these people. And so it's not an accident that they were given over for a time to the enemy. Then they came back from captivity and for the sake of one great patriarch, Daniel, for a brief time they thrived, but never quite the same because God had withdrawn the covenant relationship with them. And during this period, Anybody else been watching The Chosen? This helps. If you've watched The Chosen, it helps with what I'm trying to tell you here. During this period, the people of God developed a sort of self-will of culture. They, they turned the covenant into a counterfeit of the relationship with God. They called the law of Moses, which was a law of repentance and harmony with God through sacrifice and discipline. They changed that in their culture by the time of Jesus to a law of men, a human law that took 10 commandments and turned it into 613, okay? And so at this point then, when Jesus enters the scene, the people who still claim to be the people of God have become worshipers of their own interpretation of God's law. 
And this is an issue that Jesus takes up with them regularly and causes them a great deal of frustration and even at some point tempts them to find a way to murder him because they like the status quo. Then the tables are turned on the enemy in a way that is so hard to explain that we can't really put it into words, but through Jesus's perfect humility, sinless nature, and total obedience to the Lord God the Father, he sacrifices himself for the sake of this broken, sinful bunch of people that includes you and me. And in so doing, not only suffers a death that in human terms is horrible, but more than that, that we can't even really comprehend because we have no idea what it must have been like for him to endure the separation that is so natural to us sinners and completely unnatural to him, the Son of God. But he endures this, he takes on the enemy, and this is a critical passage that we just read recently that I want to share with you. This is the word of Jesus in the Gospel of John, chapter 12, verse 31. He says, now is the judgment of this world. Now will the ruler of this world be cast out. And so in that pronunciation, just before Jesus went to the cross, he said, when I do this, the enemy is out. He's no longer in control. No wonder then, when you read the epistles, those letters from Paul and the other apostles, they repeat over and over again, the sin and death have no power over us anymore. That's because Jesus canceled it. There is no reign of Satan anymore. He, there's another passage in the same discourse by Jesus where he says, he has no power over me. He has no hold on me. I'm given over to him for a moment, but he ever, it's by choice. He doesn't have any control over me. I'm just letting him have his way with me for a moment because of what it does for all eternity, which is the restoration of something that started in that sacred place we call Eden with a created being called Adam who walked with God side by side in the cool of the evening, sharing a unique nature that was made in God's image. Now do you begin to understand the significance of Pentecost? Now do you see how Pentecost is the fulfillment of God's purpose and plan to restore what was broken in Eden? The enemy is no longer just locked out of Eden and the place of God's dwelling. The enemy is locked out of leadership or real control over things in the world. Rest assured that he's still around and he's still causing chaos wherever he's allowed to, but it's only voluntary now. He doesn't rule anymore. He's been defeated by Christ our Lord. This is why Jesus Christ talks so much about the kingdom. You remember when we talked about money and I said there's only one thing he talked about more than money and that was the kingdom. The kingdom of Christ, which he now reigns over because of his victory over death and sin, because he has removed the ruler of the world. 
And yet by Jesus' own definition, his kingdom is not of this world, but it's in this world. And it exists wherever his followers are. And when we share in the heart and mind of God through the Holy Spirit, we are his kingdom. More than that, we are the king's presence in the world. And so Pentecost becomes an enormous event because it's the invitation of God to be in union with God in the same way that Adam was. Walking with God, feeling and hearing the heart and mind of God. It was almost impossible for people before Jesus made it possible. God made a few exceptions at times that we can talk about on another occasion, but a universal, broad spreading of the Holy Spirit is possible, and it happened at Pentecost, and it can happen in your life right now. It can happen in this church right now. Because you simply must recognize and acknowledge in the depths of your being what I've just shared with you that God has a purpose and a plan for your redemption, for your restoration to a unique relationship with God. And it begins with the belief and understanding, comprehension that Christ is the only way to enter into that relationship with God again. By him, we are saved. Because of him, we can say that it is in the Lord God, our creator, we live and move and have our being. These are all things you're going to tear through in the next few days as you finish your journey through the Bible in 90 days and you realize that the proclamation of the apostles is that the Lord's kingdom has arrived. The only thing we haven't covered yet, and you will hear a little more about that from me in a couple of weeks, is to see the king return and rule the earth literally, which is his intention. In the meantime, by accepting Christ as your savior and redeemer, by welcoming new life in Christ we call being born again in the Holy Spirit, you become then the sons and daughters of God in the same spirit as Jesus, and therefore you are kingdom citizens wherever you are, the spirit is. Wherever you are, the kingdom is present. I will close with this one comment. It is unfortunate, however, in my experience, that there's not much of a kingdom presence in a lot of churches, in a lot of religious organizations that, create, that were created and gathered in his name. And the reason is very simple. Because people, they, they buy insurance. Because, because people, in a similar way to the Pharisees and the Sadducees who made a counterfeit to the living God and called it the law or Torah, in the same way Christians will buy an insurance policy that they cash in at the funeral home. Ironically, it's the living who are trying to cash it in at the funeral home, if you see my meaning because the dead have already been reconciled with the way it really is, 
whatever that means. I'm not passing judgment on the dead. But the reality is, is every time we go to the funeral home to say goodbye to someone we love, we check on our policy to see if it's up to date. <laughs> because it's at that moment we realize that we are mortal and that there is, I hope, more after this. Oh yeah, I'm a Christian. I just remembered, therefore I have heaven when I die. That is not the nature of the gospel. It is a living gospel. Eternity doesn't start after you die. Eternity starts when you're born again. And this I find very troubling in all of my years of ministry, especially because I meet so many people who go to church but have not been born again. Now, rest assured, I'm not much of a Pentecostal. I'm not very good at, at the more expressive forms of spirit-led worship and all that. So don't worry, I'm not suggesting that we Methodist, the frozen chosen, as I've heard us called, we don't, we don't have to get up and dance around and jump the pews or anything. I'm not proposing that. All I'm really saying is, is do you believe that you've been born again? Do you believe that you've been born into eternal life? Do you believe that the way you look at the world has been forever changed because the lenses have been changed in your mind's eye? That's really all I'm talking about. Let the other denominations of religions where there are broader expressions of spirit-led worship and everything do their thing and God bless them in it. I mean that. But as for me and this family and our house, they'd be satisfied if you could just confess with all your heart that Jesus Christ saved you and for that he has become the Lord of your life. And that there's no voice you want to hear or obey like the voice of your King Jesus Christ. That the world can talk all it wants on TV and in your ear. The world can tell you how things ought to be and the Conservatives and the liberals can tell you from now till doomsday how things ought to be, but what voice do you listen to for truth in love? And it is the spirit of our Lord Jesus Christ. This is who I listen to. This is whose voice keeps playing in my head even after the batteries run out on my earbuds. This is the voice that I hope you'll follow. And if most of us, if 51% or better, will do that, then this church will become a place that is a kingdom outpost. Seems like a good place to shut up. Let's pray. Almighty God, thank you for your word. Now burn it upon our hearts. May we be inspired and transformed by what comes to our ears from your spirit. And not the fervency of the speaker, but the real truth in love that comes from your heart and mind. I pray this for your glory. Amen. Amen.